Hello, my name is Barnaby Pickering, reporter at MedTech Insight. Welcome to this one-off podcast special where I speak to Oxonics, a UK startup which is working on an ultrasound-based technology that has been designed to enhance the potency of oncological drugs. So far, the company has published some preliminary data on its technology and is also currently working on a phase 1-2A study looking at whether it can improve the efficacy of cetuximab and folfiri when used to treat metastatic colorectal cancer. Joining me for the discussion was the company's CEO, Jerome Marzinski, and its Chief Technology Officer, Dr. Christian Coviello. Also joining was Matthew Frome, partner at Longwall Ventures, one of Oxonic's investors. Jerome, Christian, Matthew, thank you so much for joining me today. I've been really looking forward to this conversation. I think to start, it makes sense to get a background on Oxonics. Taking it right down to basics, what is the technology that you've developed? Where did it come from? And what problem is it trying to solve? Okay, uh, well, so let's start with maybe the problem first and then work through what the technology is. Um, so the, the problem that we're trying to address is uh, drug penetration into tumors. And it's usually the case that it's not that cancer drugs can't kill cancer cells in tumors, um, in fact, you know, modern drugs are, are, are kind of getting better and better at targeting cancer cells. However, there's usually one uh, simple problem that, that has tended to remain, that not enough of the drug in sufficient quantity can get from the blood vessels to the cancer cells. And, and tumors have two big disadvantages uh, that, that precludes this from happening. One is that the tumors have a very poor and irregular blood supply. Um, and that the second thing is that they have a very high back pressure pushing from the tumor back to the blood vessels. So just a fraction of a percent of a systemically injected drug would ever leak out of the blood vessels into the tumor. And the one, you know, uh, thing that you might try, the obvious one is, well, why can't we just increase the dose of the drug uh, given to a patient? And usually that's because of the negative side effects like toxicity, so harming the patient by giving them more drug. So our solution um, uh, to, to trying to overcome this, to push more drug from the blood vessels into the tumor, um, consists of two components, one of which uh, is um, a bubble, a nanoscale bubble. So, and uh, this would be an infusion of a lot of them, um, but they're small uh, nanoscale, um, so very size controlled as well. And then a focused ultrasound device that looks kind of like a conventional ultrasound imaging device. And the way that this works to, to overcome the problem of, of poor drug penetration and local dose in a tumor is we use a phenomenon called cavitation. So this is where when the bubble is hit with an ultrasound wave, the bubble rapidly expands and then rapidly collapses. And that collapse uh, produces a jet of liquid in the direction of the ultrasound wave that hit the bubble. And we can use this, this, this pumping mechanism, the jetting to push more drug from the vessels into a tumor. And so in practice, the way it works is a patient would be uh, um, using our device with a handheld probe. They'd be imaged uh, to the site 
of the tumors so that we can find out where we want to direct this pumping activity. And then we'd start to infuse our bubbles and whatever the prescribed drug is, they're in no way uh, bound together. And then we transmit our focused ultrasound waves uh, on the tumor to cause this bubble activity to push more of the drug from the blood vessels into the tumor. And we have kind of two really cool advantages to the way that we're doing this. One of which is that uh, kind of uh, hinted at this, but we're, we're using whatever it is, the drug that's prescribed from the patient. So we don't have to reformulate the drug. It works with existing drugs. And that has a huge commercial and regulatory advantage so that we can pick from the best drug uh, asset class and we can pair it to the, the cancer indication that drug is prescribed for. And then the second thing, which is the really kind of novel cool bit of our technology is that we can see in real time where we're treating. So we can, that I talked about these bubbles rapidly expanding and collapsing the popping sound. We can listen for that. And um, unlike kind of conventional ultrasound imaging, we have a new imaging modality that listens for that bubble popping and then images that at the same time where we're conducting our treatment. And then we can display that bubble activity on the ultrasound image so that we can accurately know where we're causing our treatment as it's going on. And by measuring that bubble activity, we should understand what the depth of treatment is and we can rapidly progress through all the tumors that might need to be treated. How long does treatment last? How long are patients having this ultrasound wand on their body? So currently in our first in human trial, the treatment lasts between 30 and 40 minutes. Um, but we have seen in uh, preclinical experiments that we should be able to conduct the treatment for upwards of an hour if, for example, there was disseminated disease. So where they have multiple tumors throughout an organ. Okay. And I take it it just works for injected drugs, so not oral drugs. I guess conceivably, if there was sufficient um, a dose of the drugs circulating in the bloodstream, it could work for oral drugs. But no, it would tend to be uh, administered through systemic infusion of the drug. Okay. Okay. Um, I was reading a little bit about Sonic's progress, and I read something about partnership with ADC Therapeutics investigating their drug ADCT-601. Could you tell the listeners a little bit more about that? So, sure. Um, so, uh, ADC Therapeutics came to us um, to, to look at um, uh, partnering with ADCT-601, and one of the reasons was uh, that um, they were concerned about uh, delivery of the drug. And so it at the dose that they had to get a efficacious response, they were concerned that there would be potential for toxicity. And could we operate at a potential lower dose and still get the, uh, a similar efficacious response at the higher dose? Um, uh, and you know, across our preclinical results, we've kind of shown uh, a, a very similar trend that we can get, you know, upwards of three times the amount of dose uh, compared to just standard systemically infused drug. 
So because of that, they were pretty excited that that we could maybe achieve a result uh, with their asset. And, and what we managed to achieve then uh, was we first started to look at, uh, you know, their recommended dose where they saw efficacy, but we actually went down by a third than using a sub-efficacious dose of that asset. And we were able to achieve a similar level of efficacy uh, to the, the higher concentration or the, the systemically infused concentration of the drug. So they were very, very, very excited by those results. Okay, okay. You spoke a little bit about efficacy there. Is your technology going to have a greater impact on cancer treatment for cancers that are less metabolically active? One of the things that you see as a trend in kind of modern chemotherapy is that um, it, you know, while there might be a, a desire to target, um, you know, to use advanced targeting uh, methodology in 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 the asset, um, there still can be a problem uh, with delivery, in the sense that um, the the these targeted assets they tend to by uh, their targeting means they tend to get bigger and bigger and bigger, and you still have a problem that. Um, you know, though there are um, uh, though there are um, you know endothelial gaps in tumors because of the nature of which the vascularity develops, those gap sizes are are still going to be constrained. So, the larger the asset, the less of that, even if it's a targeted asset, is going to be able to bind to cancer cells. So it's going to be constrained to the vasculature. So while you might get targeting very close to where you have very good blood supply in the hypoxic regions of the tumor, so maybe that's where you're, you're kind of implying less metabolically active, there would be poor um, uh, diffusion of the drugs or poor targeting in this case. And that's still where, where Sonotran can have a, a, an advantage. So in that case, if you're saying less metabolically active, meaning kind of can we distribute more drug into the hypoxic regions? Yes, I think that's where we have an advantage. Okay, okay. You spoke earlier a little bit about regulatory pathways. Now, the graveyard of failed cancer therapeutics is rather massive, and the amount of money that has been spent on them is also rather horrifying. Um, and it certainly seems that your technology could reanimate some of these failures. Is this a regulatory viable approach for Oxonics? Are there pathways which can be walked for that? I think so, but that um, that does depend on uh, our partners' desire uh, to um, reanimate, if you will, those failed assets and 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 look at them in the in the cold light of day as to their possibility for for um, for resurrection. And uh, with some of the discussions that we've had with pharmaceutical companies, they are um, interested in that, looking across their whole range of assets. Um, with some others, those, I think one of the challenges is uh, with a pharmaceutical company is once that asset um, has died uh, within uh, the, the pharma that, um, you know, the team has then kind of um, dispersed, the, the institutional knowledge is a little bit lost. So I would say that, um, you know, definitely we, we get traction there with some, um, but with others, it, it can be more kind of internal company logistics. Okay, okay. 
And just kind of taking it back to the regulatory pathway itself, um, how would this be regulated? Is it a drug? Is it a device? Is it a drug device hybrid? So it's a, it's a drug device combination product um, uh, for certain. And in the UK, uh, the way the MHRA has uh, regulated it is both the bubble asset um, and the device, the ultrasound device are both devices, which is a much simpler uh, um, kind of regulatory story. Um, now, other uh, we've started discussions with uh, regulators in uh, Europe as well as the U.S., and that's just uh, at the beginning of discussion as to to how that might be uh, regulated. But at least uh, from our vantage point, because the bubble does not have any binding to the drug and imparts no effect um, uh, other than what the drug is doing, that. Um, uh, we are a device. We're merely helping more of the drug get to where it needs to go. Just digging in a little bit about kind of helping the drug get to where it needs to go, what you just said. Um, could there ever be a downside to concentrating chemo drugs in regions of the body? If drug concentration is increased in the tumour, it stands to reason that concentrations would increase nearby too. Does this mean that a radiotherapy-like approach of gross tumour, clinical target, and planning target volume calculation may need to be done in the future? Yeah, I mean, everything has to be done with a bit of uh, risk-benefit analysis, right? I mean, um, if we're in, in increasing the, the, local, uh, the local dose of the drug um, in nearby uh, surrounding tissue, um, there might be an increase in local concentration, but you know you have to take that on uh, the the risk of you know the not performing this treatment and not getting the efficacious response that our technology can provide. But but overall, you have to understand that the drug is already very 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 well characterized and known um, in the concentration that it's provided systemically. So a, a increase in local concentration. And keeping in mind that our technology is very well focused, our ultrasound is very well focused. I think the the, the risk far outweighs, or excuse me, the benefit far outweighs the risk in this case. Okay, perhaps a question for you, Jerome. Um, when assessing the validity of any partnerships with pharma companies, what are you looking for? Are you looking for a drug that can be maximally increased in efficacy with your technology? Are you looking for a pharma company that's simply agreeable? How does it work out? So, so first of all, thanks, Christian, you know, for sketching the picture about the technology's benefits and, and the competitive edge. So coming back on your question, I think we're very, uh, we, we are grateful of having the widest possible of business development choices because of the no reformulation aspect of the drug, which is not encapsulated in our nano bubble, as Christian explained. So therefore, we can really pick and tap into the broadest drugs portfolio, which will be the right combination for us as a drug type, as a, as a kind of asset class, you know, throughout the anti uh, antibodies, monoclonal antibodies and ADCs and the emerging uh, and the rising emergence of these oncolytic viruses, you know, as, as a breakthrough weapon for tackling cancer uh, with the right cancer type. 
the 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 beauty of this approach is that that give us you know many many options and we will pick you know the most rewardable option for the company given the fact that we are now having a very strongly science backed technology platform with the sonotran which was able to clearly provide astonishingly remarkable preclinical and early clinical evidence about this new cavitation enhanced drug delivery technology. Uh, and that says that the intervention with the Sonotran is more than safe, is even more feasible and has the potential to improve the therapeutic response of one of these anti-cancer drugs. And in terms of collaborating with companies, um, you obviously need to run clinical trials. Who foots the bill for these things? Is it a shared venture and then furthermore in the future how would revenue be split so again we are in the stage now we are a leading clinical stage company uh we are pivoting now in a very uh, positive momentum the company's positioning towards you know a very thoroughly demonstrated clinical stage pre-commercial and commercial stage company which means that we are still assessing the best business model option, but with one breakthrough advantage again, which is we are claiming that the technology of Sonotran enhances the pharmacokinetics performance of the drugs, nor the pharmacodynamic. So from, from let's say a concrete business model implementation, we can even argue that tomorrow, because if we really partner, imagine, with one of the most important clinical and met need today in uh, the pancreatic cancer, which is the second leading mortality cause in cancer just after, you know, the lung, that we could clearly say that the more we could claim about the efficacy of the drug can be, you know, carried through a joint venture, with the, the acceptable split of risks and reward with one of these breakthrough pharma biotech companies along with us. Matthew, thank you for your patience today. Longwall Ventures has a really interesting portfolio ranging from metal additives to space antennas, but it also has several life sciences investments, many based in the Oxford area. What drew Longwall to Oxsonics? Thank you. So, uh, it's a really good question, and you are right. We have a we have a pretty broad portfolio. As a you know, has been around for fifteen years. Um, three funds over that time, investing in a range of hard science and engineering and materials and healthcare technologies. Um, but healthcare is one of our our core focuses. Um, look, we we looked at the the team behind um, Oxonics. Uh, many years ago, um, and, and thought that the, the technology was absolutely fascinating, and it was solving what we perceived to be a really pressing uh, problem in oncology, that, that of drug delivery. Um, the, the team that started it is, um, is from a university department, which has got a, a, a sort of a global reputation uh, for biomedical engineering. Um, you know, led by uh, Professor Constantin Kousios and, and Christian Coviello um, as well. Um, and I guess we looked at the pedigree of that team uh, and thought 
that uh, the the Oxonics technology was was worth more than a second look. It was worth really getting <laughs> stuck into. You made your initial investment. How did you decide how much money to invest? So this is a you know this I, I guess is is a, a bread and butter decision for any venture capitalist. Um, we have to look at the look at the technology, look at what um, problems need to be solved to take that technology from a, 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 a lab bench prototype through to a, a product which has got uh, regulatory approval, which has got clinical proof of of um, concept and has got sort of um, re reimbursement approvals, work out what, what that journey is, what risks are gonna to have to be undertaken on that journey, uh, what problems are gonna to have to be solved on that journey. So we try to work out what is the, the capital journey from prototype all the way to market product. And then having assessed the capital journey, we then have to work out where the key value inflection points are on that journey and provide the company with just enough capital, perhaps with a little bit of, of headroom, to reach that first inflection point. That enables the company to prove out some of its early assumptions, overcome some of the early risks, and get to that value inflection point, so that the next tranche of capital for that capital journey could go in at a higher valuation. Um, you know, it's there's a little bit of science in there, there's a little bit of logic in there, there's also a, a fair dose of of pattern recognition of um, artistry uh, as well. Um, but I think in the first instance, you know, the judgment was an, uh, an initial investment of about six million pounds was the right amount to get Oxonics from startup to that first, that first proof point. Okay, okay. Now, you, you use the word artistry, which, you know, I, I, I always love a discussion of the arts, you know, in the sciences. Um, six million pounds to get to the first kind of proof point. Um, as venture capitalists, how do you, I don't know, suggest, recommend, advise companies on where to source their first proof point? Yeah, that's a, I, that, I mean, that's a very good question. Um, I mean, obviously, like I guess all venture capitalists, you know, the first thing we do is we join the board of the company. Um, but joining the board is really a, a matter of, of, of governance, I guess. Um, really, a lot of the, the, the decision-making takes place around the board with the, the discussions with the chief executives, with the founders, with the, the chief technology officers of the company, and also with engaging with the potential customers. Um, so we really want to be part of those discussions. We want to be... You know, I, I want to be the I want to be the first person that the CEO calls whenever there's a success in the company, but also whenever there's a problem, because we want to be part of that part of that discussion. Um, so how, how do how do we advise? It really is just being part of that part of that inner team to try and work work the way work the, you know help the company work its way through the issues and challenges it's going to face. Um, I can't claim to have. Um, sort of the, the the magic answer that guarantees success. But you know what? Um, again, probably like every venture investor, I have got a pretty extensive database of, of the thousand and one ways that, that young companies can screw up. So just helping companies navigate those problems is probably quite a big part of it. Back to Longwall itself. Um, 
you've got quite a broad portfolio and a relatively small team. How do you manage the knowledge that you need to have to invest in these companies with you know brand new technologies? So you're right. We do have a, a fairly large portfolio. We've got a, uh, a team of uh, five active um, um, in, in investment managers within the, within the business. Um, I think typically um, an investment manager in a in a venture fund can manage anything from um, four or five, maybe six, seven, eight um, investments each. Um, in the early days of an investment, it is going to take a lot of heavy lifting and a lot of involvement. But what we are looking for is for these young companies to build competent teams that we trust and we back to, to take the companies forward. And as time goes on and as these companies develop and as they succeed and prove out their assumptions, our involvement as individuals should reduce. If it's not reducing, there's a problem somewhere. There's a problem with the teams that we're bringing in to manage these businesses. So actually, I think that as the company starts to succeed, our involvement should reduce. Um, and that means we can focus on the companies, the, the newer investments as time goes on. So I think, I think managing a, a portfolio of six, seven, eight uh, companies per person is, is, quite, is quite doable for a venture investor. Um, final question, perhaps to, back to Jerome and Christian. Um, in terms of a 10-year pipeline for Oxonics, what are you hoping it contains? Wow, you know, if, if I jump on that, 10 years, you know, is, is a long shot. But, but the, the beauty behind this technology, again, being backed by an absolutely astonishing, remarkable science, is oncology is just the first addressable market. We can start establishing, you know, that type of new combined technologies, you know, with this breakthrough ultrasound device combined with this proprietary patented nanoparticles in over global disease as a burden like atherosclerosis as coronary artery disease or even to a certain extent neurological disorders. I think we want to leverage the concept of the Sonotran as a platform. We want to be very fast, smart and agile when it comes to striking, closing any deals. And I think tapping first in this oncology development is, is, is absolutely paramount because the tagline of the company is really to make accessible, possible to a greater amount of patients what we call precision and personalized medicine, which is simply put to put the right drug at the right patient at the right point of time in his current treatment pathway that stays in the right target site of the tumor organ. And I think you can clearly translate that breakthrough statement towards over major chronic disease. Okay. Thank you very much for your time, everyone, today. It's been a joy to speak to you all. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.